This episode is brought to you by Arden Labs Education. Sign up today to learn advanced concepts in Go, Docker, Kubernetes, Terraform, and more. Visit ardenlabs.com forward slash education for more information. Welcome to the On Labs podcast, and our special guest today is Sonia Price. Hey, Sonia, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Bill, thank you so much for having me. Where are you coming from today? I am from Seattle, Washington. Oh, Seattle. I love Seattle. I, you know, I had made plans to go back to Seattle, I don't know how many months ago, and then they fell through. I'm, I'm bummed out. How's the city over there? Everything's. Well, come back, come back. Now that now that we're you know exiting the pandemic, there's a lot more to see and do here, and uh, it's fun. It's spring, uh, so the rain is starting to lift, and really looking forward to summer. See, uh, the rain thing's a myth to me because every time I go to Seattle, it doesn't rain. I I don't know why. I don't know what it is. Well, that's what we tell everybody that doesn't live here, so that more people don't move here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we got it. We Our got real estate it. is already ridiculously expensive, so we, we got to keep it down somehow. I see. I see. All right. So I just I gave up the goods already. But so you're welcome to come for a visit. We would love to have <laughs> you. <laughs> okay, Sonia. So so tell everybody what you're doing right now. Where is Sonia today? What I'm doing right now today, I do career and leadership coaching, um, primarily for mid to senior level professionals. And I help people transform and upgrade their career and find new and interesting roles with companies that have products and service offerings that are interesting to them. You know, really having more of that sense of meaningful work where the work that you do on a day to day basis actually contributes to something in the world that's in alignment with your values um, and usually also makes significantly more money. So I like to refer to myself as a career strategist, a salary advisor, and a leadership coach. So well, uh, real quick while we're, while we're here. So is the idea that if someone is kind of struggling and figuring out how to move their career forward or trying to figure out where they want to be in their career, then they would reach out to you and you would you would counsel them and work with them? How does that? It could be a couple things. I mean, sometimes I have clients who come to me who say, you know, I've been doing this for X number of years. I'm not fulfilled by it anymore. I want to change directions. I want to find something new and different. And it could be something totally new and different or slightly new and different. Um, other times I have folks that are coming to me and they're saying, you know, I want to move into leadership, but I'm being passed over for promotions. You know, like I'm not being seen in the way that I need to be seen to get that leadership opportunity. And then we start to talk about, okay, well, does it make sense for you to try to get that in your current organization? Or could you very easily, you know, make that shift and up-level your career if you went to a new organization that is willing to give you those types of opportunities? Um, so some folks have are not as clear on what they want, and I help them find that clarity. And then some folks have a clear idea of what they want, but they're having challenges accomplishing that for whatever reason. And then this works like you you have an hour session once a week or so, like how does what does the engagement look like? Sure. Yeah, um, it could be a coaching session once a week. I have a couple different programs where, you know, we can do 
uh, one-on-one coaching. I also have group coaching, which is really cool because you can leverage the power of the community in that way. Um, generally, we kind of match the pace of the client and where people are at in their career, how much time and effort that they have to give it, and also how quickly that they're looking to you know, land that next new role. So sometimes we move very quickly, and then sometimes people want to move a little bit more slowly. Maybe they want to be much more selective and more thoughtful and more reflective about their next career move. So we usually match their their um, their pace. Um, and then usually, you know, we can help someone land a new job within like one month is probably the quickest just because we need to lay a little bit of foundation in the beginning days. And, you know, I'd say the sweet spot is probably like three to four month time period. And then sometimes when people want to be super selective, it might take more like six to nine months. This isn't, is this a new industry? Because I had a friend maybe last year who was talking with someone similar about the same things she wanted to, she wasn't completely sure where she wanted to be, but she knew she wanted to move up in her career. And she started talking to someone. So like, what is this industry you're in? I, I, is there a name? Because I, I, I would imagine that, unless I'm just really ignorant, that there's a lot of people who don't even know you exist in terms of, uh, of an option. That could be true. Um, I would say that I exist inside of the coaching industry, which um, maybe probably started, I mean, in its complete infancy was probably, you know, 30 to 40, year, 40 years ago. Um, it's been growing steam for quite a while now. And I would say probably within the last decade or two, it's like had rapid growth um, behind it. Maybe in the early days, um, you might have worked with a career advisor in your university or something like that. But I think it's grown far beyond that in a way that, you know, someone like me, I have a really good tap on the job market. I even work with some of the organizations. I work with a lot of the top tier tech organizations, and I have a really good understanding of what they're looking for when someone goes through the interview cycle and, you know, what types of questions that they're going to ask and how a candidate can really put their absolute best forward, their best foot forward to go through that process. I also help with things like salary negotiation. Um, so I'm really like kind of alongside the candidate throughout the entire process, helping them clarify exactly what they want. What does meaningful work look like to them? How do they tar- target their job search accordingly so that they can position and market themselves in the right way to be the top candidate for that particular role? And then, you know, and that that can that can um, span everything from resume, LinkedIn profile, how to network, who to talk to online. How do you get in touch with key decision makers, key influencers? What do you say in interviews? And then how do you negotiate your entire total compensation package? And I think sometimes people don't realize that there are many things that you can negotiate for beyond base salary. There's a whole plethora of things that you can be negotiating for as part of that package as well. All right, I'm going to ask two more questions before we jump into the time machine. <laughs> I was traveling all over the planet for three years before the pandemic. I had a really good sort of handle on the job market, at least for the industry that, I'm, that I was in. Like I knew just about every company, what positions were open. Weren't there? I, then the pandemic hit and it all stopped, right? I wasn't traveling anymore. So I don't have the same... I think knowledge and, and handle on what's out there as I did going. So how did you, how do you maintain that? Did, did, was COVID, did COVID affect, affect that at all in terms of 
what you knew the market looked like? Well, COVID definitely impacted the market in that, you know, we all went completely 100% remote. And now I think companies are trying to figure out, are they going to be permanently remote moving forward? Or if they are going back in office, what does that look like? I think as far as the job market, um, I think that, I mean, quite honestly, right now, the job market is hot, super, super, super hot. Um, most of the top tier tech companies that, you know, I know and work with, they're just having a heck of a time finding top talent. And it's been that way for quite some time. I think it's gotten progressively even more so like, um, you know, I have friends and colleagues with Amazon and Google and Apple, you know, a lot of the big, big companies, and they're all saying the exact same thing. I'm trying to hire for 20 people on my team right now. Like they're looking for developers. They can't find anybody. And it's not for lack of effort. They're just not finding the top talent of what they're looking for. And they're now, you know, starting to go overseas. Well, they've always been going overseas, but I think they're doing this even more so than they ever have before because they're just not finding the talent that they need here um, in the U.S. And um, and so, you know, they're, they're trying to find teams overseas that they can that they can work with to fill the need. Um, and I don't think that that's actually what they want to be doing. This is not for cost cost cutting measures like it was in the past. At this point, it's just like we can't find anybody. We need to go anywhere and everywhere in any corner of the world to find who we can to fill these roles. Oh, but let's OK, I'm going to continue down this conversation for a second, because companies like Apple and Google have a pretty strict policy about being in the office. Uh, Microsoft and Amazon never. But I mean, those two companies specifically. And another thing that I'm seeing from these companies where employees decided to move out of the cities because they could, now they're all being asked to take salary cuts related to their cost of living, right? Which in some cases could be fairly drastic um, salary reduction for some. If somebody was in California, New York, and now they're in St. Louis, let's say, right? And the argument for the employee is, I'm the same person. What does it matter where I'm standing, right? But companies are doing that. So are you seeing, you must be seeing some of that too. I mean, how are you, how are you dealing and handling things like, like that issue? So yes, the, this is a huge debate happening right now. And it will be interesting to see what shakes out with this over time. I don't think we're far enough down the road to really figure out, you know, how this is going to happen. Companies are just now starting to make announcements about calling their people back to work. Some people are back in work, you know, back in the office full time, maybe because they want to be, um, or maybe they're doing it like a couple days a week. Um, and maybe some companies have gone back full time. But I think that companies are going to have to learn to be much more flexible with this moving forward, because most of the clients who are coming to me, they're saying like, I want a permanent remote position and I want the ability to live anywhere that I can in the world. Now, let's talk about that piece for just a moment, because I think that's going to put companies in a really interesting bind. And the reason that they say, you know, you, you can't go live in St. Louis and take a San Francisco um, pay is because of tax implications that, you know, if they know that the employee is based in the headquarter office in the Bay Area or whatnot, they have to pay California's taxes. So it's actually, you know, they, they don't know how to figure this out. 
Um, some companies like I know um, Amazon, if you have a remote position, because they do have permanent remote positions, not everybody across the board. So there's you know certain roles in the company that have that remote status. Um, how Amazon is handling it is that they say that you can be completely remote anywhere in the world that you want to be for up to six weeks out of the year. And it's because of that tax implication thing. And they do track your IP address. So they know where you're working. And, um, you know, if you're gone from, you know, I think you have to be within 25 miles of your HQ location um, for most of the year. But and then, you know, if you're gone for more than six weeks, then they start to get into fuzzy areas around tax laws. And that's really where the that's 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 where the big conflict is on the company side of things. Now, maybe they're going to start to change laws around that, because if they can't get enough of the right people, then, you know, they're going to have to advocate for something different so that they can, um, you know, get people here in the U.S. and and maintain satisfied workers because people are quitting right and left. There's a huge musical chairs happening in the job market right now. Well, I there's always been kind of musical chairs going on. And I at least in our industry. I think it's, it's definitely more so now than ever, in my experience. And um, certainly talking to people who are doing a lot of hiring are really feeling super challenged by this. So, you know, I have a small company. We have employees. Uh, I only have 40. Uh, I only have 40, right? I only have 40 people. That's a lot for me. Okay. I'm not, That's I'm not, team. I'm not mm -hmm. Apple, but we have a third party company where if somebody, if we're going to hire somebody for the first time in a state that we're not operating in. Yeah, we have to file in that state. We've got to pay our taxes in that state, even if it's just one employee. And we do all of that. Like I understand, I would imagine though that Apple and Google are already set up accounting wise to deal with having to pay taxes in every state. I find that interesting that it's, a, it's more of a tax problem for them than anything else. From what I know, that's what I'm seeing. Um, and I think when you operate at scale like that, you have to have standards and policies because otherwise it's a complete administrative nightmare where you're, you know, managing 200,000 people or how many ever people, right? And it's like, we got one person in this location, one person in this location, like that just um, can become very challenging to manage all of that from multiple perspectives. You know, when you hire them, when you, when you file your annual taxes, when you're filing payroll taxes, you know, it like, I, I can't even imagine what a company of that size goes through. I, I can't either. Because I know with 40 people, not all of them base employees are still, it's still challenging. But the employee doesn't care. No, <laughs> it's not, it's no. not my problem. It's your problem. <laughs> right? They don't know what's going on behind the scenes. <laughs> there are some interesting things happening. Like, um, Airbnb just announced, I don't know if you've heard about this, but they announced that um, any of their workers can work anywhere in the world. Um, I think there are some stipulations around it, but if you, you, you know, you're aligned with a certain location and you get the pay for that location, but then you can work, work anywhere around the world. I'd have to find the article and send it to you, but it's pretty interesting. And I think that a lot of companies may end up kind of going in that direction. And it makes sense for Airbnb to kind of be a leader in this space. So your salary is based on where you are on the planet that day you're working? Um, I'd have to go look at the, the, I'd have to go look at the article, but they're trying to make it more equitable for people that it's like, you can, you can travel and work at the same time and you can have more equitable pay 
um, across across the globe. Um, but I'm not sure the, I'm not sure the exact details of how it works. But the CEO put out a statement. And he kind of outlines all the specific details about it. So with my company, I don't really care where you are as long as you're available when you're supposed to be available every day. In fact, we had two people that spent a year in an RV because this is what they wanted to do. And I said, I don't really care as long as your internet's working and I can reach you. I don't really know where you are right now. So, so why would that be different? And again, I'm paying you for the work you're doing, not because uh, not because where you are. So, yeah, this is this is getting really interesting to see what these companies are going to do over the next couple of years. Okay, what what I'd love to do, I want to keep having this conversation. There's tons of questions that keep popping up, but I I, I do want to get a little bit into how you kind of fell into this sort of job or role because I, I, it's kind of interesting to me, you know, like how you how you ended up here. Um, helping people. So maybe what we can do is just go back a little bit. Maybe, maybe just not not too far back, but um, just to maybe talk a little bit about, or maybe you can even just tell us a little bit about how how you kind of fell into this particular job. Um, well, when I went to college, I really had no clue what I wanted to do with my life, and I didn't have a lot of guidance from you know, parents, mentors, advisors. I didn't have a lot of that in my life at the time. And so I just kind of stumbled my way through college and, you know, I, I paid my own way. I basically just, when the course catalog would come out, I would just pick whatever courses looked interesting to me. And it ended up taking me six years to finish my undergraduate degree. So let me, let me ask you, let me stop you. Let me stop. I'm going to interrupt you a little bit as the story goes. Cause I, um, I so, um, where, where did you go to high school? Where were you? I went to high school in Nashville, Tennessee. In Nashville. Okay. And I guess it was just assumed you would go to university after high school because that's what everybody, that's what everybody did. Interestingly enough, um, my sister was the first person in my family that went to college and I really looked up to her as a young kid. And so for some reason, I just thought, you know, Monica went to college. I will go to college. That seems like the smart thing to do. And not really knowing what you wanted to do, you just said, I'm, I know I got to do liberal arts studies, so. I didn't even know the term liberal, liberal, liberal arts. I can't even say it today. <laughs> um, you know, I didn't even know that term at the time. And so I just thought, oh, you know, I mean, seriously, I would look at the course catalog and I would say, African dance, that looks cool. I'll take that. No, with no understanding that like, hey, that may not actually like add up to like a degree. Um, I, I, you know, I, I kind of got the hang of it over time. Um, and I, you know, thought of many, many different majors. So like initially when I first started, I thought I was going to go into psychology. Um, interestingly enough, I'm kind of doing that today, but then I also, I wanted to go then at that time I was, um, in Nashville, Tennessee. And I thought, oh, music management, that would be really cool. You know, I could help manage bands, um, kind of got a little bit into that and I was like, no, nah, no, nah, this isn't the world for me. Then I thought about architecture. Then I thought about photography. Um, then I, um, started getting really interested in documentary filmmaking and I started making, you know, documentary films on the side. And this was like in the early days of digital tools and all of that. And so, um, it was really like, like when I was in college, Photoshop came out for consumers. So what year, what year did you start university? I started in 
97. Okay. Okay. Yeah, right. So that's, that helps us with the, like the, t were you at all getting a little depressed that you hadn't figured out what you wanted to do as university is moving on year after year? You know, I think at the time it was really just fun. It was very, it was really fun for me. It was that creative process of like, I could do anything. What do, what do I want to do? And, and I also didn't have an understanding of how the real world operated. So when I was getting into documentary filmmaking, my dream was to buy an RV and travel anywhere I wanted to. And I was going to have an art, a, a dark room in the back of my RV because at that point in time, I was literally developing photos in a dark room. I would go and spend eight hours, you know, just developing and trying to get that one perfect print. And then like almost instantaneously, Photoshop comes out and, you know, there was a big debate at the time under, you know, with professional photographers. Oh, I will never go digital. I'll never use Photoshop. And of course, everybody uses Photoshop today. So... <clears throat> You know, but I was like, I thought, oh, I'm going to buy an RV and I'm just going to live in an RV and travel full time and make documentary films without even thinking about, well, how am I actually going to make money? How am I going to, you know, pay for my future? And like that, that, those kinds of things, it never entered my mind that I needed to be thinking about adulting kind of things, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, it, but it was really fun, you know, and I'm, I, when looking back on it, I'm really glad that I had the freedom to do that. Um, you know, in some, in some cases, I wish that I had more mentors and guides that were like, Hey, what, why, you know, think about this, why not do this? And another, in another uh, perspective, I'm really glad that I just had the freedom to explore whatever I wanted to explore because I did end up eventually figuring it out. And, um, and I have really fond memories of, you know, I, I, I loved when the course catalog would come out and I would just pour through the pages and say, oh my God, the history of modern medicine, that sounds so interesting. Or I took a lot of history classes, you know, history of the American frontier, history of 19th century photography. Like, you know, I took all these different history classes. I took a lot of art classes. I took, um, you know, and then for a while I was interested in architecture and psychology and so what did you what did you end up first of all i i had to withdraw out of every history class because i couldn't memorize dates and i'm dyslexic with numbers so 1836 was really 1860 like it, that didn't work for me that was bad but what did you end up majoring in uh, eventually um i ended up majoring my my end degree was in electronic media which was a fine arts degree what was that degree about? This is 2001 when you're graduating, right? So basically it was like photography, video editing, but it was, um, what do they call it? Independent study. Like I just ended up doing a bunch of independent study towards the end. So I found a faculty member that would basically like, you know, mentor me, but I got to make up my own projects and I would say, I'm going to create a documentary this semester about blah, blah, blah. And she'd say, okay, great. And then she would just kind of, you know, watch it and participate with me throughout the semester and I there were other people in this course with me and I think we, we you know we were all working on our own projects and we would get together and do reviews and feedback and and that kind of thing but my degree is in electronic media um and then here's here's what's really interesting as I got about three quarters of the way through my degree and I I realized like I have no idea what I'm doing here and so I decided that I was going to take some time off, so to say, although I continued taking night classes just to continue to um, fulfill some of my general requirements. And 
I was in, at that point in time, I was in New Mexico. So I decided to go to school in New Mexico. And then I took some time off and I decided to move to Seattle. And I was like, I'm going to go to Seattle. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to get some professional experience and I'm going to figure out what the heck I'm supposed to be doing with my life. This is like three years. This is like three years into your undergraduate degree. Yeah, maybe, maybe five years into my undergraduate degree. Um, and so I moved up to Seattle here and thankfully I ended up landing probably the most amazing job that any young person could get. It completely put my career on the map, got a job with this very cool startup company and I was basically employee number two. Um, so it was the founder, the CTO and myself. And so I basically got hired as a, a glorified admin assistant. Um, and then we quickly started hiring other people, but I, I just, I, I've always been a very, cre uh, very curious person and I've always been pretty motivated to like take on more work and more responsibilities and that sort of thing. So as I kind of got the layout of the land, I just started saying to the founder, like, Hey, you know, I see a need for us to have this thing over here. So let me do this. And then let's hire somebody to backfill my position. So I very quickly started kind of, you know, progressing inside of this organization and I was there for five years and All right, I want to pause. 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 Oh, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold <laughs> whoa. My wife will laugh at me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. You went, you finished high school in Tennessee. You decided to go to university in New Mexico, right? That's what you're saying. You were there, you, you're doing your degree and you wake up one morning and you're like, no, I, I, I need a change. So you started looking for work and it happened to be in Seattle or you just decided I want to go to Seattle and then you found this job. There was a bit of love involved at the time. Um, so I had ha I'd had a long distance relationship and um, things were going well. And so we decided, well, why don't I move to Seattle for a bit of time and let's see, let's see if we can make this thing work and I'll get a job and We'll see what happens. You met this person at university and they went to Seattle? I, I met I, this person at my sister's wedding. Oh, and we lived okay. in Seattle. So, okay. All right. That's um, fair. We, that's... Had a, we had a long distance. Um, we were basically like pen pals for a, a bit of time. And then finally he, he came to visit me in New Mexico. And then we took a trip to Hawaii together. And then um, I think I'd come to see him in Seattle a couple of times too. And then we we're like, well, Let's see if we can, let's see how this thing goes. So. so that's, so that's fair. That's fair. Okay. So you move to Seattle, you find this job with a startup, which at the time is exciting and, and you don't have anything really holding you back from working with a startup. So, so you take this job. Now you said you were there for five years. You watched this company, you were employee number one. How many two. employees? Two. All right. One, two. You were, how many employees were there by the when you left in five years? It grew to, at the time that I left, it was like 25 individuals. So what made you decide it was time to, to move on from this company? Well, there's a whole story around that. Um, actually, so we had gotten a couple of rounds of funding. We had had some angel funding. Then we got, I think we had two rounds of VC funding. And when we started getting venture capital funding, the founder who his strong suit was really in sales. He was an excellent marketing and sales guy. And so he was great at securing 
you know, major um, business, you know, partnerships and contracts for us. But he wasn't a really good CEO type. So when we got our first round of venture capital, he decided to hire a CEO. And there was probably some advisement that he needed a CEO as well. So, you know, we, uh, <clears throat> we found this CEO had been um, a previous um, Microsoft employee, but had also had also started his own startup long ago. And then Microsoft bought it out. And then he had continued his career with Microsoft. And so this guy was like, well, you know, I think he was ready to do another CEO type role. So he moved in, but then he used a lot of our VC funds to hire an additional layer of leadership, which we really didn't need at that time. But, you know, he started to hire a VP of product, a VP of, um, I can't remember. We, it was like all of a sudden we had all these VPs and it was like, we have like 15 people working here. Why do we need VPs? You know? It's like a bank. Everyone's a vice president. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then, um, unfortunately, this new CEO basically just drove the company into the ground. And it's it's really, really, really sad. But he hired this new level of leadership and they all had a very set way that they wanted to do things. And it was kind of this like almost family run type of organization. I mean, we had pulled ourselves together by our bootstraps and we didn't have, you know, we had process, but it wasn't a Microsoft level type of process. And and so, you know, they were trying to, you know, implement all of this, the structure and process and various different things. And then he decided to basically lay off all of the original people. So um, we had a um, CIO. He let the CIO go. Um, basically, our entire, like our networking person, and this was a highly networked kind of organization. So he let the networking person go. He let, um, he ended up letting like four of the original people go. And I was the final original person. And it was the one of the weirdest things that has ever happened to me in my career. And he basically just pulled me into his office and said, you know, hey, you're really smart. Like, I think you would do really well. It's, you know, one of these other tech companies here. I was like, oh, well, that's interesting. I'm not I'm actually not looking for a job like I, I'm pretty happy here. I have a job. And he just kind of kept nudging me and pushing me. And we had multiple conversations like that. And so one day he pulled me into his office after we'd already had maybe four of these conversations. And I just said, hey, are you are you trying to make me quit? Because I'm not going to quit. So if you if you want me out of here, you're going to have to fire me and I will be expecting unemployment and a severance package. So let's talk. What kind of severance package are you going to give me? It was really sad. It's really sad. And then unfortunately, um, six months later, he had blown through all of the funds, all of the VC funds, and the company uh, crashed. You know, I've unfortunately heard this same story in one form or another too many times. To founders bring in a, somebody else to be the CEO and everything just like tanks. I'm sure there's some success in it because VCs wouldn't continue to do it, but I don't know why. I've, I've heard this story way too many times. Well, so what I that I want to say about this this chapter of my life is that it really put my career on the map because uh, you know I went from basically having no professional skills and no technical skills whatsoever and I was a full-fledged product manager you know I helped write requirements I helped test this product I 
you know, I, 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 and I learned a lot about usability and design and user interface. And so, and I, I, I had my hands in pretty much like every single aspect of, you know, building and growing this technology. So it was a really wonderful opportunity for me. And the founder was a wonderful mentor to me. So I really appreciated working with him. And, um, that just gave me a ton, like just a really wonderful foundation that I built my career on uh, moving forward from that. So, so what year is it when you leave this company? So that would have been, uh, let's say like 2005. 2005. So, then, so now you're in Seattle, it's 2005. You're, it's time to move on to the next sort of gig. What do you, what do you do? Well, what I had decided to do, I'd kind of already been thinking about this, but I went back to school and I ended up getting a master's in leadership and organization development, because while I was working in that startup company, I saw how every time we hired someone new, I saw how the team dynamics would change. And then when that CEO came on board, it was like it was a whole new company, like the culture changed overnight. And so I got really curious about, well, how do you actually grow companies? How do you grow teams? And how do you create this like culture and environment that people actually want to be a part of and that you can have leadership that, you know, actually helps the company thrive? And so I got a master's in leadership and organization development. And at that time, I thought that I would become an organization development, you know, organizational effectiveness consultant. And I thought, oh, now I've got this fancy master's degree. Companies are just going to be lining up to hire me. And that is not what happened, unfortunately. So I think that kind of that started to get my gears turning about like career coaching, career development. And I, I don't know if I called it career coaching at that point in time, but it was like, hey, wait a second. Like, you know, I'm a very knowledgeable and skilled person. Like, why is it so hard for me to get a job? doing this thing. I have the education. I kind of have the background, but I didn't really know how to position myself or sell myself in the right way where, you know, consulting firms would want to immediately hire me. Let me interrupt you one second. Was your angle to be hired by a corporation to help facilitate culture and change? Or was your focus really on the individual? Because I, I mean, Culture has to come from the top down, right? I mean, it, it really, I and mean, when they change the top, they, the culture changes. So anybody who was there doesn't fit in anymore. That's kind of what you experienced, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, what I found out through this whole experience is that, you know, organizational effectiveness, leadership, org dev, this can mean a number of different things where, um, you know, it could be training, it could be HR, it could be change management, it could be, uh, leadership coaching. It could be all of these different things. And um, I think we probably all of us have this experience that it's like you go to school and you think, ah, I got this great degree. I know everything I need to know now. No, you know, we learn on the job. We learn through, you know, getting out there and trying different projects and seeing how it actually works. So that's eventually what kind of ended up coming into fruition for me is I, I found my own niche inside of that, but it didn't happen immediately. Um, in fact, what I had to do is I basically just went back to doing what I had previously been doing at the startup company and I got a job in a, a much, much larger organization and I was, um, basically a usability engineer. So I was running, um, designing and running studies to, uh, you know, help 
help test the usability of various different tech products. Um, mostly I was focused on um, online shopping, you know, and we would, it was really cool at the time, you know, it was like late breaking technology. We had those like eye tracking um, glasses. We'd put it on people and we could see how their eyes moved across the screen and we would monitor what did they click on and, you know, and then we would see, okay, you know, you're going to go on this website and buy a cell phone. Like walk me through your process. What's your thought process? What are you thinking? What, what causes you to make this decision? And, and then I ended up making um, recommendations like, oh, you know, this is a blue button. No one can see the blue button. So let's change it to orange because that matches the company branding. But orange is, you know, can, it can be seen more readily. Um, and I'm sure that ended up making the company, you know, millions of dollars because it just, it, you know, we could sh we could show that it actually, um, you know, increased their conversion rates. And, you know, so it was like made all these recommendations on, on how to make um, products and shopping experiences much more usable. Yeah, no, you became really a, a UX UI expert because we at Arden, we're we're constantly trying to figure this out with the website, right? We're constantly trying to figure out, and we have a bunch of tools that show where cursors are and A-B testing and trying to figure out what's, I mean, there's an art, as much of an art to, as a science to this. So like that experience alone is huge. Well, you know, it was really fun. Um, so I'd had all this video editing experience um, from previous, you know, previous experiences. And so, what I would do is we would record the user. We would bring them into our lab, record them, and we could track their their mouse movement. But we also had, you know, an actual video of them. And I would create these little clips of what these users or you know re representatives of our user base. And you would see people trying to shop for this cell phone, and you would see their mouse going all over the screen, and you'd see them like you know getting their face up in the screen, and they would just be like. Uh, I, I, I can't, you know, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. And so I'd create these little clips and then I would take it to like the weekly business review and do a presentation. And you would see all these product owners, you know, in this room with a VP and, you know, they're all going like, oh. squirming. Yeah, no, and it's like, super oh uncomfortable. I was the one who designed that. Like, I'm the one who made that recommendation, you know, and I didn't do it to, you know, make them feel bad, but it was just funny to see like, you know, we all, we all think that we're making the right design choices. And then when you actually put it in front of a user and you see how they engage and interact with something, you're like, oh, oh my God, like, you know, maybe we need to rethink this. Maybe we need to, you know, I think I know what's best, but maybe I don't. As long as developers accept it, because I've been in shops where you can have all of this and you show it to the developer and they're like, I don't know, that's wrong, I don't care. I, you're making all the wrong assumptions, I don't wanna make the changes. As long as that's not happening, right? Then, then I think it's good. Wow. So, so how long are you at, okay, so while you're at this company, you're trying to develop your other business of yes. coaching and so mentoring. So here's what I did. <laughs> um, I walked around and introduced myself to, my, myself to all the directors and VPs and I said, hey, you know, I mean, they knew me as, you know, the usability person. Um, but I would say, hey, you know, just so you know, I just completed my master's degree in leadership and organization development. And if you ever have any need for team development or you have big changes happening with your team and you need a little bit of extra support, let me know. 
And, you know, I think they all thought, okay, well, that's very, very nice of you to offer, but okay. Um, and then lo and behold, one day, the director of my team, he pulled me into um, a conference room one day and he said, hey, and he was like freaking out. And he said, um, I just got word from corporate that we have four legacy organizations that are merging and they have elected me to be the leader of all four teams. And at that time he had 40 people on his team and he was, his team quadrupled overnight. So he was going to have, um, what, like, I don't know, he was going to have like 160 people on his team. Um, and he was like, help, I don't know what to do. And so I said, okay, well, let me, let me put a few things together and I'll show that to you. And so I went home, probably stayed up all night, like pouring through all my materials from grad school. And I pulled this PowerPoint presentation to him together for him, showed it to him the next day. And he was like, this is great. This is great. Um, you know, can you present this to my leadership team tomorrow? And I was like, okay. And so I kind of just came up with this proposal that I was like, okay, let me help you through this big change project. Um, and really what I was doing was change management, um, organizational change management, which is very focused on the people side of change. Um, and I didn't even know that that was what that was really called at the time, because I think that was a growing field at that point in time, too. But it ended up, you know, another great opportunity in my career. And um, we had to create a new org chart. Um, part of that, he had to let a few people go because there was duplications and roles. Um, he was making these decisions, but I was kind of helping support, you know, help guide him through this process. And then we also had four different technology systems that we had to figure out, okay, how are we going to manage our projects together? Which one is the best, which one is the best system for the team? And then, um, you know, how do we get all of the people from the teams, you know, we're, we're um, retiring certain systems. So how do we get all of those people onto the central system? make sure they're trained, make sure they know if their jobs are changing, how are their jobs changing and how do we get everybody like, you know, working together as a well-oiled team. And that ended up being a huge project. So you, you were dropping seeds that whole time with everyone. And then when the problem came up, that seed grew immediately. Ah, we got it. We got a solution. We got Sonia. She, she, she knows. How long was that project? Was that like three months, six months? Oh no, it probably took, um, it took a little bit over a year to do the whole project. Uh, only because we have time, only, only because yeah, we're, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. we got like 20 minutes left here. And, uh, um, what happens after that project's done and you successfully moved everybody around there, that work is now finished. So do you have to go back to what you were doing? Yeah. Well, I ended up, um, you know, when we were, uh, creating the org chart, there were some needs that came up of like, hey, now that we have all these teams pulled together in this way, you know, now we have a need for this type of person. And so um, I basically, you know, told the director, I said, hey, you know, I'm not sure what you're planning on doing with this role, but I think I would be a great person to fill this role. And so, and he said, well, um, I don't know that we really know what that role is yet. And I said, well, let me, let me, get, let me take a stab at developing a job description. And if you like it, great, we'll move forward with it. If you feel that we need to change it, then we'll change it. And he said, okay. So I basically ended up writing my own job description and I moved into a leadership role. And um, that ended up working out pretty well for me. Um, it worked out so well for me that one of the other directors from another team <laughs> ended up recruiting me away. <laughs> and I, 
uh, kind of ended up doing that same thing on a different team in that organization. And then, um, then I decided I want to start my own company. And I, for about two years of my life, I did my own tech startup, um, which was a really wonderful adventure in life. And I learned a ton and I hired developers and I hired, you know, I hired a whole bunch of different people to do various different things, but we didn't end up making any money. And, um, did you raise money for that, that you had money to hire people? I did not. Well, I did a crowdfunding campaign. Um, but even that wasn't, wasn't as successful as I would have wanted it to be. What year was that, that you left the job and decided you were going to try to do? That was in, I want to say 2012. All right. So let's, again, we got about 15 minutes with you left and I want to get back to, you started that business. It didn't go as well as you wanted. How do you, how did you get to where you are today? Where, where your people are hiring you to help them with their careers, right? Because any business takes time to develop it. You have to be, you have to be earning some money in between. So maybe we can just kind of fast forward to how you got to a point now where uh, there's a waiting list to talk to Sonia. If you have a, <laughs> is there a waiting list? <laughs> A bit of a waiting list, yeah. See? Yeah. So, um, so how yeah, do we get I, to the I mean, waiting list? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. Well, I'll just give you the the real short, you know, cliff notes of what happened from that point moving forward. So after I completed my own tech startup, um, yeah, learned a ton from that. Learned a ton. Learned a ton. And then I, I use that as an opportunity to kind of parlay into the consulting job that I had wanted to have before. But now I had all this great experience under my belt because I had already done that change management project. So I ended up getting hired by um, one consulting firm, worked there for a little bit of period of time, transitioned to another consulting firm and you know had some had some pretty big projects, um, enjoyed what I did, but it was also really, really intense work. And what happened is that throughout my career, each and every time that I was making one of these transitions in my career, basically started as an admin assistant, became a product manager, got into usability testing, um, then you know did consulting work, got into leadership. I was in a corporate leadership position for a period of time, got into consulting, you know, did all these things. I started having people from my life that were saying, wait a second, how did you make this shift in your career? Um, because I was also making significantly more money. Like every time that I was making one of these moves, I was getting a pretty good pay bump. And so people were saying, well, how, how exactly did you do this? And can you help me learn how to do the same thing? So at first it was really just for fun on the side. You know, I was kind of mentoring people and saying, okay, well, let's figure out what do you want to do and how do you position yourself in the right way? And what are the things you're going to say to talk about yourself so you can be seen in the light that you need to be seen? And Let's talk about salary negotiation. Like, how how are you facilitating that whole process? And what I was finding is most people aren't even trying to negotiate their salary, or even if they do, they don't know how to approach it in the right way. So I was just helping people through this whole process, and then um, I started getting referrals and referrals from referrals. And I actually started this as a part time business on top of my full time jobs, but I wasn't really seriously treating it like a business, you know, I was just kind of like, okay, well, sure, I'll help you. Um, but then over time, I really started to realize that there are specific steps and stages in this that I think every professional should be looking at, including in the very early stages of things like really mapping out 
creating a career roadmap. Like what are your short and long-term career goals? Cause I find that most people just kind of jump from job to job and they have this very like ad hoc approach, but they're not really clearly thinking about, well, you know, what technologies do I want to specialize in? Or do I have leadership aspirations or, you know, and if I have these things and I want to get to do these kinds of things, what do I need to be working on in myself right now so that I can be eligible for this when the time comes? Um, so I was kind of developing this program without even really knowing it. And then so kind of kind of came together very organically. And then at a certain point in time, I realized like, oh, this is what I love. This is my passion. I really enjoy working with people and supporting people in this kind of way. And um, and then um, I came to a crossroads with my consulting career. I'd had a couple like really big, hard projects and I decided I want to take a leave of absence just to give myself some time and space. And I was working on writing my first book at that time. And so that was the reason that I gave my, my firm, you know, I said, I'm going to take a, a leave of absence because I'm going to write my book. And they were very supportive of that. But little did they know that while I was writing my book, I was also like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to come back. And that's pretty much ha what happened. And um, I've now been doing this full time for six plus years and um really 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 love what i do i i just get such such joy and fulfillment from you know helping professionals upgrade and accelerate their careers and find meaningful work and um you know a big part of this is making more money too and i see what that does for people that it's not about the money but it's kind of like i see what that can do for people and the quality of lives that they can have as well and you know how that can make such a big difference in their lifestyle and in um and how they support their families and get to do the things that they love to do as well okay i got a bunch of questions i got a bunch of questions <laughs> what, what what's the name of the book that you, you you published well i have two books now um the first one is actually co-authored and it's called the pivot point system um how to create um God, i forget the subtitle but it's like basically how to create more um health wealth and um, peace and satisfaction in your life. And it, so we look at all the major areas of life and what are the things that you can be doing to make pivots, small pivots in your life so that you can have greater joy and satisfaction. So that's called the pivot point, um, pivot point system. And then the second one is the infinite leader. And that's really looking at, you know, how can you have uh, a greater, greater influence um, in all of the things that you do in your life, uh, primarily at work, you know, how can you help um, how can you help lead teams when maybe you're not the one who's in charge? If you're not the official authority, um, how can you help have more influence, but not just at work, but in other areas of life as well. So you can have the kind of impact that you really want to have in life. Uh, okay. Here, here's a bunch of questions. What sort of, I, I'm sure there are people listening to this thinking that maybe they need to talk to you or someone similar to you. What kind of financial investment should they budget? to have a coach like you helping them? Sure, yeah, um, I have a couple different programs. Um, I'd like to say that I have, a, you know, something that works at every at every budget. Um, I will say, you know, I am probably a little bit more on the premium side as far as career coaches go, um, but I also know that we do really, really high quality work where we don't, we're not just focused on resume writing. And I think a lot of times when people think I need a career coach, they primarily just think I need a new resume. And there's so many more pieces to the puzzle than just updating your resume. That's one piece of it. 
when you don't have that clarity up front, that career strategy, you're just going to get an updated resume and it may not even be the right resume that's updated for the right, the right thing. So you need to know that you're targeting the right deal. So, um, I do have, um, several different packages and, um, I actually offer a hundred percent ROI guarantee. So when people invest in working with me, I guarantee that, you know, if they follow the program that they will get at least a hundred percent of their investment back through upgrading their career and making more money. Um, you can go on my website, you can see tons of client testimonials. I have videos and written testimonials and, you know, I've worked with many, 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 many professionals. Um, and I've helped people accomplish really amazing results in their career. Quite oftentimes, most people get significantly more than a hundred percent ROI on their investment working with us. You know, I've helped people make up to $100,000 more than they were previously making. So let me, how do you deal with different personalities? Cause I've done a little bit of coaching for people, help them negotiate salaries, tell them this is what they're going to say. This is what you need to say next. And then when they say this and people are like, Bill, how did you know this was going to go down? Cause I've been there before, but there are different personalities where I meet somebody who says, I can't do that. I just can't do that. You're asking me to do something that I just, I can't do. It's not my personality. So how do you adapt your programs, things that you know are successful to different personalities? Because some people are more alpha, some people are more passive. Well, yes, you're right. I mean, there are so many different personality styles. I, I, I try to adapt the coaching to the client. And sometimes I even ask people like, hey, what kind of coach would you like for me to be? Do you want someone who's going to shoot straight with you and just tell you, hey, this is how it is. If you want to get this result, try this. Or, you know, do you want me to, um, you, are you looking for someone who has more of a gentle approach and can, you know, nudge, encourage and guide you? And I can usually kind of read into what people are looking for. Um, you know, people present themselves in a certain way. And I think you can kind of figure out what works best for folks. But yeah, I do come across people who say, oh, gosh, oh, I don't know, you know, I don't know if I can do that. And I say, okay, well, let, let's think about this. You know, let's weigh out all of the different alternatives. Like if you approach it like this, um, you know, knowing what I know about the industry and these types of professionals, like this is how I can imagine that that conversation will go. If you approach it like this, this is probably what will happen. If you approach it like this, this is probably what will happen. Tell me, you know, like what, what's the true outcome? What's the outcome that you're really looking for here? And then out of these various different options, like which one do you think is, what, what's the best one for you? Which is the best path forward for you? And, you know, I don't feel like there is a right or wrong. I just wanna help people get the outcome that they came for. And if they want to make more money, I'm gonna help guide and encourage them in that direction and say, well, you know, when you first came to me, you said you want to make $60,000 more per year um, or, I mean, I've literally helped people double their income. So it's like, you told me you want to double your income, but you're telling me that you're afraid that you want to ask this question. You, you know, which one is more important to you? Do you, do you want to double your income or do you, and I don't say it like this, but it's kind of like, you know, are you, do you want to double your income or, or, um, stay comfortable right now? And sometimes, you know, to get what you want, you, you got to go through the discomfort to get it. And with negotiation, it's usually over in five minutes or less. Like it doesn't take a lot of discomfort to get there. 
if you don't ask, you can't receive either. Which exactly. I, so what, what I what I learned over time was that what you're we just talk about salary, right? There's other things you can negotiate, but your initial salary going into a job is more important than anything else because raises internally, even if you got 10 percent. It kind of is a lot. It's really hard to negotiate larger salaries. Once you're in, your negotiation starts on your initial salary. If you want to double your salary, most likely you're not staying at that job. You, you're going to have to negotiate out. Is that is that what you what you see too in that first salary negotiation? I actually have a very well researched blog on my website um, called "Why You Should Change Jobs Every Two to Three Years," and it's basically this exact. It, it paints the the point in the business case for exactly what you're talking about right now. So if, if people are watching this and listening to this, you can go to dynamocareers.com um, forward slash resources, and you can look at all of my blogs and I have a few, you know, freebie downloads and other things that you can take a look at podcast interviews, various different things. Um, but there is an article in there called why you should change jobs every two to three years. And in general, the, the average um, raise, um, which is really just a cost of living increase. If you're working inside of an organization, most of the time, the average is like two to 3%. Um, if you're an engineer and you're in the you know tech dev space, maybe you're gonna get 5%. Um, but the cost of living, you know, we have a really high, there's been a high hike in inflation as of late. The current inflation rate is 8.5%. So if you're getting anything below an 8.5% increase year over year at this moment in time, you're actually losing money every year. So, you know, I encourage you to like, if you like your company and you want to stay in your current company, seek out new opportunities where you can get a promotion, you can get a bigger pay increase internally. But quite honestly, the, the easiest way to get a really nice hike in your income is to go to a new organization. And um, the, the general range for that is you can get a 10 to 20% bump if you go to a new organization. Um, and I help clients get significantly more than that. You, you, would, you would think, right, companies, that how hard is it to hire somebody, keep somebody, train them, get them to a point where they're proficient? You would think at some point a company would realize that maybe what we need to be doing is renegotiating with people every year, not um having them leave you so would. so you I'll, would. I'll i'll tell you what we do at arden i tell everybody at arden if you need something you need to ask me before you make some other decision if you come to me and say i already got a job and this is what i'm making oh, go good go but if you come to me and say bill i need this then i want to work with you right and it's not about well you're making this so i can only give you three percent it's you're making this, let's, let's see where you really are in the industry right now. Let's see what we can generate and then we'll, we'll get you as close as we can if not to that number, right? From my perspective, I think it's important for people to get a sense of what you're worth. You're, you're worth whatever somebody's willing to pay you, but at the same time, what do you think you're worth? That's what you should be asking. If I'm not paying you what you think you're worth and we can both agree this is where you're at, then this is where you should be getting paid. So I, I try to work with every, if somebody comes to me and says, I'm not happy or I need this, my life has changed, I just had a baby or this, I want to do my best to get them to 
where they need to be, at least say salary-wise, because I don't want to lose them. You, you already know how hard it is to hire somebody else. I, mm -hmm. I, I don't see this happening a lot in other companies, and I don't understand why. Yeah, well, it does happen. Um, unfortunately, I don't think it happens in the way that people want or need to feel appreciated and acknowledged um, for the work that they do. So like big companies, every once in a while, they do what they call a leveling exercise. Yeah, you or know, someone in HR goes through and does compensation studies and they say, okay, we have this many people at this level with these titles and gosh, you know, this person with this level and this title is making significantly more than this person with this level and this title. And when we compare that to the market rate, um, you know, are we competitive with what other companies are paying? So oftentimes they'll do this, you know, organization-wide leveling exercise, or maybe it's just for a specific department. And they say, this department is falling behind and we're losing people. So we need to do, you know, this thing. And then they go through and they say, okay, we're giving everyone a 10% bump or whatever it might be. Um, Amazon just did this huge, you know, huge, big thing. Um, people are still unhappy. And, you know, and so it's like, I think that, you know, I like your approach. I think that's great. I, it sounds like you take good care of your people. Um, and that might be easier to do, you know, when you, when you probably have a personal relationship with each and every person who works for you in some sort of capacity, you know, big, big organizations, that's not as easy to do, or it needs to come directly from the manager or, you know, that department. But um, yeah, it's like, unfortunately, I think by the time that that happens, that that typically happens, it's almost too late because they notice that people are leaving and they're trying to save, you know, save the organization before everybody leaves. Um, and then like what I see as sometimes a very effective strategy is basically what you just mentioned, although it doesn't sound like that works for you, but sometimes what employees can do is if they can go get a competing offer from another organization and they bring it back to their current organization they say hey you know i just want to let you know i've been looking i do have an offer on the table um i'm wondering you know but i like working here i would prefer to work here is there anything that you can do to increase my rate of pay so it is competitive with the market ranges and then you know organizations will do what they call it a dive and save Great. Let's see. Let's see what kind of budget we can pull together for this, because, yes, we do want to keep you. Um, the caveat to this here is if you try this strategy, you have to be prepared that if you bring something like, like this to your manager and they say, well, you know, night, you know, great to hear that. Um, sounds like you have an offer with a competitive company. Um, I'm going to call security and we'll have someone walk you out today. Thank you for your time. Yeah, you can't call bluff. You can't you can't bluff. I, I, it's, I, I just don't like it. I don't like that. Now, I, there's some myth that if you ask for more money, you're going to be fired or you're going to be on some like short list. And I try to tell people all the time, it, you're allowed to ask the question, you know, I need a raise or uh, right. If you don't ask, you can't receive. But I, I get this sense from people sometimes they're afraid to ask because it might mean something negative. I, I've always tried to tell people from the time they start, if you need anything, you come to me first. Don't be afraid to ask. If I can do it, I will. If I can't, I can't. Well, I think um, people are afraid to ask because then, you know, they're, they have a sign over their head that then says, I'm unhappy here. And unless you can make me happy, you know, I'm probably going to be put on your short list. 
So the next time that you have really interesting projects, you may or may not assign it to me because you're afraid I'm going to leave anyways. Um, so I think, you know, people are afraid to, to bring these things up because of the perception that might come along with it. Now, I do think that you you can still ask, um, but I think it's I think it is in your positioning of how you ask. So instead of coming to the conversation of like, hey, you know, I'm unhappy, I'm not making enough money, I can't make my ends meet. It's like come at it from more of a career development perspective of saying like, hey, you know, I'm really interested in taking on more strategic projects. Like what do we have coming down the pipeline that can help me learn and grow new skills? And then, you know, once you're operating at that level, then you can say, hey, you know, I've really, um, you know, I'm, I'm doing a great job. I'm taking on more strategic level roles. I think it makes sense for us to have a, con a conversation about my compensation because, you know, I've done some market research and I know that people who have this skill set that have this background and experience are typically making, you know, X number of dollars more per year. I'm wondering if you would be willing to, um, you know, do some sort of leveling exercise or, you know, compensate me for this additional skill set that I brought to the table. And I think that can be a, a much more productive type of conversation when you when you come at it from that angle. I mean, I've had employees come to me wanting more money than I could give them. And I would say to them, I can't do that, but I'll help you find the next job. Uh, I got no problem helping you find what it is you need. The world is too small to be burning bridges with anybody. So if I can't give it to you, so that's wonderful. Something else you can do, Bill, is like sell the other benefits of your organization. Because oftentimes I have people who come to me and they say, you know what? It's not about the money. Like I'm a developer. I'm already making X number of dollars per year. What, what else do I need money for? You know, like I literally have people that come to me and they're like, yeah, making more money would be nice. But what I really want is a permanent remote job. Or what I really want is a team environment that I feel like is home for me or that, you know, like I, I enjoy my coworkers. I'm tired of working in a place that's really competitive and I just constantly have to compete to be the top highest performer or whatnot. So, you know, I think just as a little unsolicited feedback, I think, um, you know, selling the other benefits of your organization to say, you know, um, this is the high end of what I can offer you as far as compensation goes, but let's talk about your career development path. What kinds of projects do you want to be working on? What would make this more interesting and engaging for you? Or, you know, tell me, you know, what are you really looking for? Do you like the remote aspect of our, our organization? How do you feel about our culture? What are some of the things that, you know, that you would like to see change here beyond compensation? Are there other things that would make it more worthwhile for, for you to stay? Because, I really appreciate the work that you do and I want you to stay, but I also, you know, if there's something else better for you out there, you know, yeah, have at it. I want, I want you to have the absolute best career for you. Yeah. I mean, we have people that easily can make more money outside of our company, but they just love, you know, we're working all the time to try to add that aspect to the business, right? Because it is super competitive. It, it hurts when somebody comes in and they're gone a year later. Like we, I don't want that. So, but and I guess we're, we're focusing here a little bit on salary, but when you get to companies as big as Google, where everything is a job level, I mean, is there negotiation there? You just have to put in the time to get to the next job level, right? So in that case, you'd have to bounce to, to, to move job levels. I mean, I've never worked at Google, but you know, these are things that I've heard. Potentially, potentially. I think, you know, if you're, 
if you're at this crossroads and you're trying to make the decision of should I stay or should I go, I think you really need to evaluate, well, what, what are your short and long-term career goals? Where are you really trying to get to? And what kind of opportunity is going to help you get down the longer road in a faster capacity? So if there are opportunities internal, it might make sense to stick it out and really try to go after, go, you know, get yourself aligned with the, the types of projects that you want to be working on. If you're trying to learn a new technology or a new skill, you know, try to get yourself on those projects. Or if you want to move into leadership, see if there are opportunities for you to, you know, mentor people or, you know, take on leading a specific project or, you know, those kinds of things. Or maybe, maybe there's going to be more opportunity for you internally to do those kinds of things. Or maybe you're not going to make more money in the short term, but you're going to be positioning yourself much better in the long term. Or if you do get promoted internally, then yes, maybe there will be a nice pay increase that comes along with that. But if you don't have those opportunities internally, then maybe it's time to look elsewhere. Or if you want to make more money quicker, then go look elsewhere because, you know, it's, it's kind of a matter of what are you trying to accomplish and what's your timeline of how quickly you want to accomplish that? And then what's the right opportunity that's going to help you get there? Oh, okay. It, it, this is my last question. Uh, if somebody is interested in talking with you, um, let's say they're, they're going to hire you, they want to work with you, what is some of the, the homework they should be doing? What's the pre-work that should be in place prior to reaching out um, and, and kind of engaging with you to help that process uh, be much smoother in the beginning? I don't think there really is a whole lot of pre-work. Um, generally, I just have a conversation with someone and I want to understand more about what your goals are and how clear are you on your goals. And if you're not clear on your goals, then that's our starting point. I would hate for someone to feel that they have to have it all figured out before they come and work with me, because quite honestly, that's a major component of what I can help with. And I think sometimes people make that mistake that they say, well, I need to get all my ducks in order before I go work with a coach. But that's exactly what a coach and a consultant and a guide can help you with. And even if you feel like you know exactly what you want to do, there may be other things that you're not considering that, you know, when you go through that whole strategy design process, it's like, oh, you know, maybe your world gets opened up even bigger than what you're currently looking at. So, I mean, I don't think there really is any pre-work, maybe just some simple self-reflection of thinking of like, you know, how, how satisfied am I with where I am right now? Or what is it that I'm really looking for? Do I want to make more money? Do I want to move into leadership? Do I want to be working for, you know, move into a different industry or a different type of organization? Um, and if so, what are those things with as much clarity as you have right now? And if you don't have that clarity, that's okay. A lot of those things can be uncovered through, you know, coaching and dialogue and further conversation. Well, all right. We are out of time. I could sit here and talk to you for, for, <laughs> For hours, <laughs> and I and I think the listeners are going to get a lot out of this too, and I'm sure they got a ton more questions. So, uh, if anybody, we'll put this in the show notes, Sonia. But if anybody wanted to reach out to you to to ask a few questions to make contact, what's the best way for them to reach out? Well, um, I have a free assessment that I think is right in alignment with what we're talking about right now. So if you just want to answer a few questions, take five minutes. Um, if you go to dynamocareers.com forward slash assessment, basically it's going to ask you a series of questions that can help you uncover your level of satisfaction of where you are right now. And it's called the 
does your work work for you assessment? So if you're questioning that, does your work work for you? Go over to dynamocareers.com forward slash assessment. Um, and then we can stay in touch that way. Um, you're also welcome to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Just look for my name, Sonia Price, S-O-N-J-A-P-R-I-C-E. I'm very active on LinkedIn, so please feel free to connect with me, shoot me a message. And um, you know, if I can't help you, I'd be happy to have a conversation. Yeah, that's, that is awesome, especially right now in this time where everything is so uncertain. Do I want to stay at my job? Are they forcing me back? Where do I really want to move? What's the best time to move? I, yeah, I mean, there's a ton of questions. And if you don't have 30 years of experience in the industry, you're definitely not sure how to answer most of those questions. So I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us and share uh, everything you're doing and the experience that kind of got us, got you here which is which is really brilliant. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you, Bill. Keep doing the great work. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, great. All right. So this is Sonia and Bill Kennedy signing off from the On Labs podcast, and I hope to see everybody again real soon. <laughs>